Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's driving the bond market? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, October 23, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington. Joined today by Christoph Olari, founder of Olari Consulting. A quick note before we get started to our Real Vision members, we have rolled out our new Real Vision 2.0 platform. So check your email to get on the platform. There's some amazing new features you're going to want to check out. I've been playing around with it for a couple of months, and it's really cool. Christoph, couldn't be more excited to have you with us here today. You've been looking at these markets. You're a big picture thinker. I was reading your research note earlier in the day. Obviously, historic route in the bond market. Big picture, where are we? How do we think about it? How do we contextualize everything that seems to be happening at this regime change moment? Thank you, Ash. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the Air Vision. Um, I, I really think that, uh, you know, after, after COVID, we, we tend to think that the, um, the measures put in place by the authorities will have the same impact as the, the, the ones put in place uh, after GFC. And that, by definition, um, we will, it will not be inflationary and we will have the same, you know, um, low, yield, low rates and, uh, and uh, suppress uh, risk of uh, premium and, uh, you know, very, very uh, settled markets. And I warned at that uh, stage that there was a big difference. The big difference was it was not only a monetary uh, fiscal, uh, monetary uh, support, it was as well a fiscal, uh, uh, very uh, with unprecedented uh, support, which was uh, coupled with the uh, monetary uh, uh, safety net, which makes a big difference because contrary to, uh, to G- post-GFC, the cash didn't go only into the, um, I would say, financial markets and uh, risk assets, but went into the real economy, creating you know um, excess savings on the household, as well, um, giving the opportunity for the um, large corporates uh, in the US to um, to front run their um, their funding needs in 2020 and 2021, and uh, and uh, making the most in fact of the low yield. Um, I think that the most important difference, and you can see it on the um, on one of the graphs I send you, it's everything looks like you know what GFC at the beginning, and then you have a very big inflection point. What is the big inflection point? It's as the money is going into the real economy, the velocity of M2 is, uh, is um, uh, picking up, which means that the real economy is benefiting from the, um, from the safety net uh, delivered by the authorities uh, in the aftermath of uh, COVID. And you see that on this graph that as soon as um, V uh, is, uh, is inflecting, in fact, the bond market is, is uh, getting a message we have a different setup. If you add on to the, uh, to the mix, <clears throat> the fact that COVID and, and the, um, the invasion of Ukraine by uh, Russia also just uh, uh, impaired uh, globalization, um, destroy you know, the, um, the supply demand, 
the need for the uh, for the Western um, uh, democracies to um, to reshuffle their uh, their uh, their uh, supply chain. Uh, you know, we've, I've insisted a lot on on the the reshoring. So being sure that your um, your network and your suppliers are getting closer to uh, to your country, um, based on on suppliers that you can trust. So you know, like that uh, now you need friends as a, as the suppliers, and and this has a cost as well. So in fact, we shifted to um, you know remember after a GFC the military support has been used by the government to deleverage. Like uh, each single uh, press conference from uh, Mario Draghi was about was about please guys just make the most of our loyalties to um, to implement um, I would say um, uh, a big push uh, fiscal push. What Germany did, for example, they went uh, from 2014 to 2019 from a budget deficit of three uh, percent of the GDP to uh, to sur- uh, surplus. And instead of using, you know, the um, the low yield to extend the duration of the debt and to um, put in place uh, ambitious um, uh, fiscal uh, measures, they deleverage. And what are they doing now? In fact, they're deleveraging. They are expanding their deficits with a yield at three uh, percent in joint. So I think that what is very important here, I think the, the fiscal change is not a blip. I think it would be, uh, uh, it would persist in the mid and the long term for many reasons. First of all, we spent months after COVID telling um, all the voters that deficit don't matter anymore. We can expand the deficit, it's not a problem. <clears throat> That's why you don't have the Ricardian imbalance um, you know, unfolding at the moment. What is the Ricardian ambivalence? It's when your um, uh, household, a consumer, at one stage, increasing deficit uh, become counterproductive because the, the, the consumer think about the future um, uh, uh, tax uh, rise. At the moment, nobody thinks about that for one reason. Everybody has said for during one year, deficit don't matter. Right. So I, I think that the consumers will expect more, de- more uh, fiscal largesse for longer. Then you have the reshoring, so uh, really inventing your supplier network that will be uh, that will have an impact on the fiscal uh, on the deficit, obviously. Rearming in a in a in a world which is extremely antagonistic, and the energy transition, which is as well uh, will have a cost. Christopher, so I want to show some of these points visually to our audience uh, because what you're talking about here is just so important. You know, over the weekend I was tweeting about. The deficit uh, and the quote that I said was deficits don't matter at all until they matter very much. And it is this moment that you feel the earth shifting underneath your feet. You have three really great charts here I want to take a look at. Uh, first, let's take a look at the uh, the great escape chart. Uh, this is the, the the overview of what's happening in interest rates. Uh, take a look at this. This is uh, this is U.S. Treasuries. If we can bring that up on screen, Brian. Uh, Christoph, what are we seeing here? Uh, we see, in fact, the you know, 40 years of... Uh of secular uh, depressionary uh, uh, dynamic. In fact, yeah. where does it start? It starts essentially at the end of the 80s, where you had the Volcker, um, you know, uh, uh, 
painful, uh, painful normalization uh, at the beginning of the 80s. And then in 89, you brought the, um, the fall of the Iron Curtain, which has bring a lot of, you know, cheap labor force on, in the market. And then you have the acceleration in 2001 with the uh, ambition of China at the WTO. And then you brought that, uh, that very, um, you know, steady um, decrease of uh, long-term yield. One reason being, uh, again, post-GFC, only monetary um, uh, push, which I always believe in that. Um, you know, when you look at the uh, negative interest rate policies, like in, um, like in, uh, in Europe and uh, in, uh, Japan for, uh, for seven years, I think it's deflationary because it supports wrong allocation of capital. It uh, it's, uh, keep alive uh, at, uh, the production uh, entities that should not be able to produce anymore. So I think I think those policies were deflationary. And then you've got the inflection point with the uh, very very uh, brutal uh, you know um, uh, inflection and the breakout of the um, of that uh, channel, which is uh, which is uh, uh, you know, the um, uh, the consequence of the fiscal push post COVID. And then the election of Biden, and you know what we call the uh, the big inflation uh, dynamic. Christoph, at the very beginning there, you said something very important, which is 40 years. This really is a true regime shift. Uh, if you look back on the 10-year Treasury chart, uh, it peaks around 1981 at just shy of 16% or thereabouts. Uh, this is something that if you're under 65 or 70 years old and you're working on Wall Street, you've just never seen before that breakout that we see on the right-hand side of the screen. Yeah, but you, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's quite amusing because I was looking at the graph um, over the weekend when I prepared the uh, presentation. And, uh, and when I started at Lehman in 90, at the end of 1993, we were at 8%. And, um, and in fact, the, you know, the current 5% is, is essentially the, the average of the 10 years yield pre-GFC. So, you know, my, my view is... Um, what was the uh, what was the anomalies? Was was it is it the five percent today or is it, was it the uh, the, the suppress uh, yield regime that we had for uh, for ten years? And I think it's a uh, it's one of the uh, big uh, you know um, inside of the uh, of the last six months we are learning we are rediscovering price discovery. We we we've been um, in uh, administered the market for ten years. Um, every month, you know that you're going to have a decent purchase uh, of bonds from a price uh, uh, non-sensitive buyers. They, they buy. So, in fact, uh, you know the uh, we we talk a lot about the, um, the the buy the dips on the equity market and the um, the put of the Fed on the equity market. I think the real put was not on the equity market; it was on the bond market, because you know that. It was insensitive, um, insensitive uh, uh, buyers present every day. So I do believe I don't think that we're going to have an auction which is about to fail. I don't think that we'll have, you know, a collapsing of the of the uh, U.S. government debt. I just think that we are in that dynamic where you've got more supply, and the structure of the demand has changed. China is the buyer as much as before. In fact, uh, in August, it was the biggest drop of the treasury holding in, um, in 10 years, which has nothing to do with the, you know, with the geopolitical tension. It's uh, just because August was a big, uh, big uh, pressures on the UN. So China had to, um, 
to sell the uh, US dollar um, US dollar uh, assets to have dollar to sell and to uh, support the yuan. Um, you have uh, and and you have the Fed which is out of the picture. And uh, so I think that that we are in the middle of that. Yeah, rediscovering price discovery. I think it's very important. It's uh, right. Re rediscovering price discovery. That might be uh, something to copyright. Maybe I should get it as my first tattoo. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Christoph, let's take a look uh, at the next chart. This is just a little bit of a zoom in here uh, on the prior chart, uh, but the caption, I'm not sure if our audience can read it on screen. It says, worst bonds drawdown on record on track to print a third consecutive year of negative returns price, obviously moving inversely to yield. Yeah, it's, um, we never had the three years in a row of um, uh, three consecutive years of negative returns on the bond market. So that would be... Uh, that would be the, the, the first, uh, first uh, occurrence because I don't see the bond market recovering the uh, losses in the last two months of the, the year, which has a, a big implication. <clears throat> Sorry. The bond market was, has been the anchor, the pillar of any diversified portfolio. You know that it was bringing stability in your portfolio. It was a proper safe haven. And yeah. what has been remarkable over the, the last... Uh, I would say six months, the bond market is bringing in stability, which right. is not which is not supposed to happen with your <laughs> new safe haven. And um, and uh, this is a note I, uh, I sent to clients uh, last week. It's uh, uh, what has been very difficult since uh, the uh, you know the escalation of the uh, geopolitical tension in the Middle East. Where do you hide? What is your edge? The yen right. is not a hedge anymore because the yen is impacted by the monetary policy of the BOJ, uh, and, uh, and has been it has become not it can't be a hedge because it's a it's a you know the easy way to express uh, a safe uh, carry trade for the time being. Yeah. Um, uh, Suffer and uh, and bonds didn't didn't um, you know fulfill their usual uh, their usual uh, safe role for one reason it's Hot data and the Fed keeping um, uh, alive the uh, you know the higher for longer uh, narrative. So then, yeah. you, so there, therefore, you have three edges, which is uh, four in fact: gold, obviously, uh, crude, um, and you have um, uh, VIX. But it's it's quite it's a bit uh, you know complicated because not complicated, but you have you need to have your timing extremely you know uh, precise, and then you have cash. And, and obviously, in Swiss, Swiss franc, and then you have cash. Cash has become. Do you remember when Ray Dalio was telling everyone that cash is trash? Cash was trash, but cash is king now. You are paid 5% to have no risk. Right. You know, it's a no brainer. 
Well, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of people who obviously do not follow these markets as closely as you do found that out with their 60-40 portfolios uh, when they were getting whacked on both sides of it. But you mentioned something important, which is the third chart in this series, which is all about term premium. Talk a little bit about what we're seeing here on this third chart, Christoph. First of all, it's um, what, what is the, the old you know, structure of the 60-40? It's your overloading in 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 the asset, which has a low volatility. In fact, uh, the real, realized volatility of the TLT in uh, October and September has been uh, much higher, 12 points higher than the realized volatility of the uh, S&P, which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a absolutely unseen. What has been uh, as well the pillar of the, um, of the 60-40, it's the positive correlation between between uh, the S&P and the U.S. yield. So it's a proper edge. Now we are at the most extreme negative correlation between uh, the S&P and the yield in the U.S. So what is, what, uh, to go back to the term premium, it's, there is limits. The term premium is what is, is showing we are exploding for one reason. The market is, is concerned not only by, um, by the deficit, but the U.S. government. So the question is, if there is a problem, do we have a U.S. government able to put in place the necessary uh, measures? And in fact, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, like a, a joke, but we see that the, the, the election of the successor of McCarthy shows that the, the, um, the, in D.C., you, you can question, is there uh, you know, a structure enable, enabling uh, quick answer if we need to sort out your uh, accelerated deficits or, um, or big issues about you know, the, uh, the future of the, uh, of the fiscal outlook in, in the U.S. And I think that, you know, when Fitch uh, downgraded uh, the rating of the U.S., they insist on the, the deficit, but they put the focus on the U.S. government. And I think this is the, uh, the biggest issue. Christoph, as you might imagine here at Real Vision, we're covering this from many different angles on the platform, especially. And I want you to take a look at a conversation between Roger Hurst and Michael Nicoletos. This is called, Is the Market Overlooking a Hard Landing? Obviously talking about some of the challenges that you see on the horizon. This is a conversation that aired last week on Real Vision's Plus tier. Let's take a look at this conversation. If we see a correction in China, it's not nothing. It's, it's something and we need to pay attention. So this is what I would pay attention to right now. And I think looking at these things is very important in terms of how you invest in the coming years. And having said that, and I've been wrong because I've been buying U.S. Treasuries two-year bonds since the beginning of the year. Actually, I bought cash and then buy future. But my argument was, I don't know where equities are going, but I'm being paid 4 and 5% to wait. So... I haven't seen that for 20 years, so I might as well get 5% and wait until I figure out what, the, what, the, what happens in the world. And if there is a scare, then bonds will rally, equities will fall, and then you can shift your money into equities if that's the case. So again, I, I don't want to say, I'm not sure what's happening, but I think liquidity drives markets. And this is the reason, because the reason that markets haven't corrected. Everyone thinks that liquidity is drying up. But the policies that the central, the, the central banks have put in place in terms of getting the liquidity from the banks as collateral and giving liquidity in different forms 
has kept liquidity at a much higher level than people thought. But Christoph, Michael Nicoletto is making some points there, very much congruent with what you're saying, uh, particularly when he said, so he hasn't seen this for 20 years. I might as well get paid 5% and wait it out until I figure out what's going to happen <laughs> next in the world. I, precisely to your point about this question of money on the sidelines while the market anticipates and attempts to understand the regime shift where we head next. Yes, Andy, you know, it's um, when, when you had some questions about the, uh, the uh, medium-term outlook post GFC, you were not rewarded to be patient because your cash was uh, earning zero. So you were incentivized to, um, to uh, take risk, obviously. But now it's, uh, it's, it's look at the, uh, the, uh, the spread between the one month stability and the uh, dividend yield of the S&P. We are at 15 years uh, uh, extreme. I, I just, you know, when, when clients ask me, uh, what is your strongest uh, trade ID for the next six months? I was like, I'm going to look stupid, but buy one month stable or two months stable. It's, if you don't have you, if it's, if it's too volatile, if it's the visibility, it's, it's not good enough, which is a consequence of the central bank who are not giving you know, the usual forward head guidance, which was a pillar of their communication for 15 years. You will pay to be patient. So be patient and be paid. Yeah, what a strange regime shift from where we were, uh, call it two years ago, a dramatically different point. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Here's a question that I just wanted to get to because so many people have expressed this to me on Twitter. It's something that's been out there in the conversation. It comes to us from TrillionX Macro from YouTube. The question is, Christoph, with the start of a second proxy war, at which level on the U.S. 10-year yield do you see the Fed starting a YCC policy to stop the bond vigilantes? First, we should probably explain a little bit about what he's talking about here uh, to the novices, because this is such an important point. Uh, Trillion X is talking about curve control, this idea that the Fed might lose control of the longer end of the curve, increasing the rate at which the U.S. government must finance its debt uh, and needing to put a lid on it. This would be the first time since World War II, if that were to happen again, uh, it would be a historic shift. I, 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 I will just uh, take a, a step back and I will just, uh, you know, uh, have a, I think that my strong conviction is um, to the uh, low yield, low inflation, low inflation uh, volatility of the, um, of the last 30 years is over. So I think that we are entering into a higher uh, yield regime for the foreseeable future. So I think that we're going to go back to 2% on the, on the sustainable manner on the, uh, on the US CPI. No, I think that 3% would likely be the new floor. So higher new regime in terms of higher uh, rate regime uh, in the future. At the same time, what I'm massively convinced, it's uh, the, the economy, the portfolio and, uh, structure, the financial world is not calibrated for 5% uh, yet. And... And you know, we, we, we talk a lot about Air Star, the equilibrium uh, rate. I think we don't speak enough about Air Double Star, which is the financial stability uh, rate. This is the, the threshold where the Fed uh, hiking uh, campaign is starting to create chaos. I think we are not far away, to be honest. And I think we're going to have more, um, more issues in the, uh, in the, in the, in the future. Don't, don't forget that the track record of the Fed is, is absolutely exceptional. You know, uh, 
going from uh, there is no uh, tech bubble in 2000, early 2000, to there is no subprime uh, problem early 2007. I remember that uh, in February uh, 2020, clearly they were saying that COVID was not an issue. And I think that higher for uh, longer would be, we have a good place in the, um, in the, you know, the traffic order of the Fed. So it's uh, a thing that um, we are getting there. Um, but yeah, there is certainly more upside pressure first on the, on the long end of the curve. Why CC yield curve control? I think that the, um, I think it's too early, first of all. I think that 5%, again, for the generation has been used to 1% or 2%. It's high. But in the grand scheme, it's not, it's the average of pre-GFC. Um, so we're not, we're not there yet at 5%. No, we're not there yet because don't forget that there is an option, a first option that, um, that we can use before putting the bazooka because yield curve control is a bazooka. Um, it's uh, the uh, operation twist by, uh, by Yellen and the US Treasury. So I think that by, uh, you know, skewing the, uh, the upcoming uh, refunding towards the, uh, let's say, five to seven years part of the curve and not to the uh, long end, she can alle alleviate the, um, the, uh, the pressure on the long end. It's Operation think... Twist Goes Nuclear, uh, I guess you could say. Hey, listen, Christoph, there's one other chart that I want to show here because I thought it was so important. We've been talking about these uh, historic reversions of cycles, uh, some going back 40 years. We've been talking about a GFC cycle. This is a really important chart. Uh, this is the chart uh, that you have, and it's it's such a striking one of negative yielding fixed income Jeez. instruments uh, going from $18 trillion at peak in 2020 uh, back down to essentially zero. I think the number on the lower right-hand corner of that chart is $35 million. I remember when this started ramping up in the wake of the global financial crisis, it was something that all of the wonks in the space were talking about. And here we are watching it all roll off. And, and you know, I think I agree with you. For me, it's one of the most ridiculous, uh, somewhere chart, because when we were at the peak at 18 trillion, um, you had um, high yield in Europe issuing a negative uh, interest rate. And when you think about it, that's absolutely a nonsense. It's a novelous. So that's why I think that, you know, um, these monet ultra accommodative monetary policies, uh, negative interest rate policies, has forced um, investors to go down the, uh, the uh, quality ladder and yep. um, to pick up anything to create the zombies, those are, you know, uh, 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 empty structure that were, uh, were kept alive by uh, by flooding cash into the system. And that's why you went to 1883. And I think that when you look at the, the, you know, the, uh, the setup, that's quite healthy that we are going to something which is more sensible with the, uh, the you know, the, uh, the economic reality. Christoph, what have I missed here? We've obviously covered a tremendous amount of ground. One of the things that you mentioned that's mentioned in your note uh, is the impact of what's happening over at the BOJ, the Bank of Japan, in the post-Hideki Kuroda era. This is something that's a little abstract, I think, for people to understand. Tell us what's happening there uh, and why it matters to investors, particularly in the U.S. and Europe. It's, um, I think that uh, I think it's a, it's a very important point. In, uh, indeed, uh, what has been big tailwind for um, the NASDAQ and the U.S. Treasuries, the negative interest rate policy of the BOJ, because you had capital outflows uh, from uh, Japan into the U.S. 
uh, especially for the life insurance, uh, Japanese life insurance. If we, if the BOJ, I think it's that if it's when the BOJ abandon uh, the uh, yield curve control and go back into a normal monetary policy with low rates but not negative, I think the biggest the biggest risk is to see that repatriation from from uh, funds that have been invested in uh, dollar asset back into Japan. Talking with a with a lifers in Japan, it's um, you know the the, the rule that the rule but the threshold will be around one percent on ten years and one ninety on the thirty years. We are getting there, and and um, that will be interesting because that's going to be a big big. Um, uh, big um, destabilizing force for um, for the U.S. asset that have benefited from um, from this reallocation from the Japanese investors. Christoph, such important work as we all try to get our heads around the big picture of what's happening here today, getting out of the noise of the day-to-day -day news cycle, what we love to do at Real Vision, what you do so well. As we talk about this shift uh, from structural tailwinds to structural headwinds, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and our viewers with. About the um, so, uh, the uh, the upcoming uh, upcoming uh, month, I think I think the reality, in my opinion, it's um, the bond market will remain essentially uh, volatile and uh, pressurized. Uh, that will uh, require the um, the uh, Janet Yellen to uh, to implement the um, the uh, the um, the, uh, the operation twist. But the big question remains for me: What if the bond market doesn't rally? When a recession happens, because in fact, you know, we we are all particularly optimistic. It's recession. We're gonna have the same, you know, dynamic safe haven and uh, a bull uh, bull steepening of the curve, but long term yield, uh, 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 you know, rallying, enfin, just uh, collapsing. What if, in fact, the market assumes that the answer to the recession will be essentially fiscal and not monetary? And that, that's, a, that's maybe the most important question because it means that a recession will not necessarily be a good news from the, uh, for, for the long end of the, uh, the bond market. I am, don't have the answer because, because I'm not sure that we can push the deficit you know, uh, any limited way. But I feel that maybe the, um, the market will punish the long end of the curve initially and, and forcing the Fed to implement the yield curve control. I don't think that the yield curve control is a completely uh, you know, out of the blue idea. I think it's a, it's a possibility. Of, I would price it at 10% at the time being. But, uh, but I think 10%. that... 10% probably. I think that we're going to have the operation twist. But I feel that if the bond market doesn't react, the way it should react to a recession, I think it's going to become a, a much higher probability. And what I love, which I find super exciting, is having yield curve control in, in the U.S., when the BOJ abandons the yield curve control, I think it's going to be a big chaos and a, and a new big uh, uh, cash uh, flows uh, disruption and, 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 in fact, shift. And, uh, and uh, we need to be, I think it's not, it's not an impossibility. Christoph, it's always a pleasure when you join us, but especially a pleasure as we seek to contextualize everything that's happening in markets across the world. And Christoph Aldari, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, thanks so much for watching or listening to Real Vision Daily Briefing. We'll be back tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we're going to leave you with this very exciting announcement from Ralph talking about cool stuff. You're going to like this one. Have a good day, everybody. 
Crypto is a very complicated space and it requires a lot of understanding, not only of the crypto markets, but how it fits into the broader macro landscape. These guys are about the best people to take you through that journey of knowledge. We'll spend the next few minutes discussing and exploring the things that you should be looking at to make sure you have a better grasp and a handle the drivers that affect crypto. Knowing how to trade these two is going to really protect your portfolio. The first thing to hear about here is that the risk profile is completely different. Make sure you're using those tools to your advantage to help you gain an edge in the uh, in the trading of NFTs. I think it's an incredibly valuable learning for people to get your experience and your take from applying that traditional investing framework into this wild west of, of crypto.